morning. Glad that you are here at uh, all of our campuses. You should have been handed on the way in the notes for today. And um, why don't you go ahead and get those ready while you're doing that. I'll welcome all of our campuses. Marcus had mentioned just a few minutes ago that we are multi-site. So right now, uh, as things begin to go live, I want to welcome um, Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock and Lakewood, those that live stream us right now. And uh, if you happen to catch this message later on, the next week, two weeks, however, maybe you're someplace warm right now, walking on a beach, listening to this. Here's what we want to tell you. We hate you. And <laughs> just kidding. We, um, yeah, mildly kidding. Uh, we, we um, coming into Christmas this week, part of our tradition, uh, you know, pastors, th this time of year, it, it's a great time. It's a busy time like for everybody else. There's just so many commitments and so many different things that you're trying to do. Part of, uh, of our tradition is we try to get our family together. We have a lot of birthdays this time of year. Uh, Marcus's birthday was yesterday. Um, and yeah, absolutely. He's, he's uh, boy, that was pretty kind of, let's try one more time. It was Marcus's birthday yesterday. Yeah. 31. He told me last night, he said, I, it's not old and it's not young. And I said, dude, it's young. Trust me. <laughs> that is young. I, I would love to go back to 31 in some ways. Um, we, we got together, though, part of our tradition, our family all gets together. And this time, we got together at Amy and Marcus's house. Um, so we've got, you know, son-in-laws and grandchildren. We had everybody together. And a few years ago, I had, I, I don't remember, maybe it was the second or third Christmas after we planted the church, I had just got up and said, uh, I, I talked about the four stages of Christmas. I forgot all about saying that. Well, Amy took that and had remembered I said that. She put it into this sign, and she hung it over. Uh, she decorates for Christmas, so she hung it over uh, where their uh, kitchen table is at, and, and it reminded me. I thought it was really cute, so I, I'll tell you real quick. Here's the four stages of Christmas that every person will go through eventually. One, you believe in Santa Claus. Stage two, you don't believe in Santa Claus. Stage three, you are Santa Claus. Stage four, you look like Santa Claus. <laughs> What's stage five? Do I need to tell you what's stage five? So um, here's, here's, uh, here's, here's our thing. We are doing our Christmas series, finishing it up today. Uh, we entitled it Great Joy, and we use Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 10 and 11, and we just decided to keep our series just based on uh, just these couple of verses uh, and made it just a series really out of verse 10. And if you'll find it in your notes, I'm going to count to three, and I'd like you all to read it out loud with me. So one two, three. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So uh, this is just a four-week series, and when we started the series, we began using the uh, title, Do Not Be Afraid, or Fear not. Some of your translations will say fear not. And what we brought out in that, DJ taught that message, and he brought out in it that in the New Testament, the first three messages or the first three times that God speaks to humanity begins with those words, fear not. And I just said to you then the following week, listen, it could have been a completely different story had the angel come from God with these words, be very afraid, yes or no. And yet God's message, his heart, and the determination of how he's going to interact with mankind, the new covenant, all begins with those words, do not be afraid or fear not. So three times, 
in uh, between Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and is God's messenger, is dispatched to the earth with God's message. So he shows up initially, he talks to Zechariah, which is John the Baptist's father, and he tells him, fear not. Then he goes to Mary, and he announces to Mary the good news of uh, what God's going to do in Mary's life, but he begins the message with fear not. And then when Christ is born, uh, the angels appear to the shepherds, and the message begins with the words, fear not. And that's where we're picking up the story right here. So in week two, then, it begins with fear not. Week two goes right into, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. And then I taught, why is it good news? We spent some time with that. And then last week, Pastor Terry taught uh, the next part of that verse right there, uh, I bring you good news of great joy. And Terry did a wonderful job. Uh, what a gift Terry is to this church, isn't he? I mean, a guy, not only, not only, not only the teaching gift, but his, his ability to connect people and to make you feel like you're the only one in the church. That's what I love about Terry. Terry just has that great gift on his life. And then uh, if you follow it, it ends right there with saying that this will be for all the people. And so today, that's the title of the message, For All the People. And I put a couple of thoughts right there in your note. Uh, first of all, let me just say, recognize, here's, here's the truth about this church. So two weeks ago, uh, when I taught, on that weekend, we know for a fact that we had more than 50 people born again for the very first time. So about 50 people, so how, how do you know? First of all, if you go to this church, you know when we give a person an opportunity to come to Christ, we're not like, hey, if you got a headache, you lost your coat this week, and you need Jesus, raise your hand. Right. We're very specific on it. Right. If you don't know Christ and you want an opportunity to find him today, so we're very specific. But then we ask people to do this. We don't embarrass them. We don't make them stand. We don't, put, we don't parade them around for anything for us. But we ask them on your way out, if you met your decision, would you grab uh, some information that we have for you on about a relationship with Christ? And then we're able to know how many people take that information. So we know that we had more people respond during the opportunity, but people that actually took the information, we, we know well over 50 people had responded. All right, say that for this reason. Two weeks ago, I got people that just began a spiritual journey. But our church also has people in it that have been walking with God for 30, 40 years, longer than I have even been a pastor. People have been serving God. So I've got this real, um, not, not, not strange, but interesting dichotomy that I've got people on a very beginning level of spirituality, people that are very sophisticated in their spirituality. How do you bring that together to try to teach messages? You know what I'm saying? How do you, how do you, how do you speak to people that have knowledge, and how do you speak to people that have very little knowledge? How do you bring them all together? Well, so I, I try, let, let's, let's just take some words and try to bring everybody together. So in this particular uh, message right here, we're going to talk about, all right, do not fear, I bring you good news, which will be great joy today, all people. So let me just ask the question, unite us, how many is all? all. So, so like, if you're like, is that a trick question? No, what, you'd have to go to seminary for 10 years to mess up the word all. You have the great advantage of not having people try to tell you that all doesn't, all is all, do you agree with that? So here, here's, here's my thought on this. It's very easy to mess that word up. Because when we begin to think in terms of all, we're comfortable with us, but not always thinking about all. So the message of the gospel is for all, not just for Americans. Do you agree? Not just for North Americans, not just for the Western Hemisphere, but it's for all people. So let me give you an example, uh, sort of a, a, a thing that happened to me that opened my eyes. I, I'm going to talk uh, really two things here real quickly before I, I give you the message, and we will get done in plenty of time today so you can get home and I, I knew this service would be full of people who are very spiritually in tune <laughs> with what's going on in our world today. Is that a good, what a way to say that. 
Ryan, did you hear that? Spiritually in tune with what's happening in the world today in Denver. All right, so here, uh, some of you like, so get to it. All right. Um, <laughs> give a guy a little bit of power and look what happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you go to church here, for any length of time, you know that I have a great heart for Israel. Um, and it, it started, part of it is just the understanding that um, I, yeah, Jesus is Jewish. I had the same thing last night. We're like, are you sure? Yes, 100% <laughs> positive. I can prove it from Scripture. It's Jewish. The, our, our roots in Christianity come from Judaism. Do you agree with those statements right there? So there was a natural affinity towards uh, the Jew. And, and my first trip to Israel happened in uh, 94. Went to Israel. God did something phenomenal in my heart that, that uh, attached me to, to the land and to the people. And I came back and I tried to teach two people what God had done in my heart. And this is what the Lord had said to me. If you take people, it'll do more in, in one visit than you can do in 20 years of trying to teach about it. All right, so, so in the time that uh, Jubilee's been established, 15 years, we've taken 10 trips. And I have taken uh, larger and larger groups with me every time that I go. So that at this point now, I've taken some 700 people over to Israel. So that's an amazing number. And I would, say, I would not say that 100% of the people that go have my experience, but I would say 99% of the people that go have my experience in that once they're there and they see it for themselves. First, you'll never read the Bible the same way. It becomes in living color to you, high definition. But then the experience that you have spiritually, that this is actually where it took place, that Jesus walked here and that the miracles took place here and, and you see it, something happens in your heart. All right, what, what you experience is sort of a, um, uh, 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 a relation, a, a kinship, a, uh, a connection with the land and with the people. And it's a wonderful thing, but here was the negative side that came out of it. You can't read the paper today and not realize the conflict between Arab and Jew. And because of my affinity for the land and for the Jew, it was almost subconsciously, I almost took like a, 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 a I, maybe in the spirit it looked like almost like this with, with people of Arab descent, and in particular, Muslims. Almost found myself just, and then 9-11 happened. Familiar? And it almost put a hatred in my heart for Muslim people. Almost like you hate us, we'll hate you in return. Now, how many of you know the danger of lumping everybody together in one? And then here, here would be where I'll go with this. I'll give away the message right now. Yes or no, Jesus still died for people that hate us. When the message is that I've got good news, which would be great joy for all people, it's for everybody. So I found myself in this really funny place of uh, almost systematically um, being anti. And your heart can become very hardened quickly. And that's not really what the gospel's about. So let me, here's the danger of this message. So I'm going to try to connect you to all people here in a moment. But if all you hear is a message and you get it in your brain, it will never come close to doing what it needs to do in your heart. So let me say it this way. So I've been teaching now, coming into 2014, in my 28th year. It's a long time to teach anybody anything. <laughs> the distance from here to here is way more than 12 inches. Do you agree? Guy, you can get things in a person's mind, but to get them to the heart where they make a difference. 
How many people go to church every weekend or school or work, whatever, and they become smarter about what they heard, but it doesn't change their life because it never makes it to their heart? You know, you can rent a brain, but you can't buy a heart. People choose to give this to you. So come now, let me tell you the story. And if you've heard me say it before, I wouldn't apologize because it's the story that God used that got my heart. Not my brain, my heart. That it opened me up to people. I've got a friend that's a professor on the East Coast. He's not a preacher, but he may as well be a preacher because he preaches better than anybody I've ever heard. But he's actually a professor of humanities at a secular university back east. His name's Tony Campolo. You may have heard of him. He's actually a very famous person. Guy that early on in my life I had a chance to meet and get to know, and he became a friend. And listening to him talk about all. This is a story that he told me. He said that he got invited to teach a conference in Honolulu. From the East Coast to Honolulu is a six-hour time difference. Now, any of you that travel internationally know this is true. Your body can go through time zones, but it doesn't necessarily adjust to the time zone just because you went through the time zone. So in other words, if you fly from the East Coast to Hawaii and there's a six-hour time difference, you may be up at midnight, but physically, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. And what do you do at 8 o'clock in the morning? You're hungry. So he gets done teaching. He goes to his room. He's going to lay down and try to go to sleep, but his body hasn't adjusted to the time change. So he gets hungry, and he gets up and he goes downstairs to the hotel. Everything's closed. Now, when I say Honolulu, many of you are thinking Hawaii paradise, but if you've ever been, Honolulu is not Hawaii paradise. Honolulu is a big city that you'd find on the West Coast with all the problems of a big city. It's not Maui. It's not Kauai. It's not the Big Island. So he is staying in a downtown area, an urban end of the city that's got a lot of problems, a lot of drugs, a lot of the things that you'll find with urban blight. He leaves the hotel to find something to eat, and nothing is open that works for him. So he walks into this little dive restaurant, and I won't take the time to go into details like he does, but he walks in, and the only guy that's there is the owner of the restaurant who also happens to be the cook. He refers to him as the chef. And the chef's wearing a wife beater t-shirt, and that's it. And when I say that's it, I guess he had pants on, but that's, yeah. Wasn't one of those places, but you know. <laughs> and he goes into great detail about the hair that's, you know. So anyway, he asked the guy, he says, hey, do you have anything to eat? And the guy said, kitchen's closed for the night. So he said, well, just, just something. He said, I've got a couple of donuts. And he reaches back and grabs the donut with his bare hand. Drops it on the counter, no plate. Almost like, you know, if you want to leave here, you'd be doing me a favor type deal. But my friend's hungry. And this is what he said. When you're hungry enough, you ignore a lot of things. So he sits down and grabs the donut, gets a cup of coffee, and he goes into the deal. The guy sloshes the coffee and slides it down to him and grabs his coffee, grabs the donut, prays over the coffee, and dips the donut in the coffee because he feels it'll kill any germ that happens. So, <laughs> and he said, right then, it's now 1 or 1.30, Two prostitutes walk into the restaurant, and they sit down next to him, and they begin to carry on a conversation like he's not even there. One of the prostitutes says to the other one, tomorrow's my birthday. And the other one says, so, what do you want, a birthday cake? 
And they chit-chat back and forth while my friend's sitting there listening to it. Now, you know, most stories involving Christians with prostitutes at this point goes downhill. This story goes uphill. The two prostitutes get up and leave. And my friend asks the chef, did you hear what those girls said? The chef goes, I hear what they say every night. He goes, do you know who they are then? He goes, yes, I know who they are. And he made no bones about what they do. So Tony asked the chef, he said, I've got an idea. How would you like to throw a birthday party for that girl tomorrow night? The chef looked at him sort of like, are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. What? But he went along with it. So the chef goes, we can use my place, and I'll let all the people in the area know, only let me make the birthday cake. Tony was kind of like, anything but that. <laughs> so Tony goes, does his thing the next day, teaches, gets done, 4 or 5 in the afternoon, goes to Walmart and buys all the party favors he can buy. Heads to the restaurant that night at about 10 o'clock and begins to decorate. Streamers, hats, confetti, noisemakers, all the things that you can imagine. They get set up, and at about 12.30, the people who live in that neighborhood begin to come in. Now, I want you to use your imagination and imagine what these are not bankers. <laughs> and these are not insurance people. So you're talking people who, at that socioeconomic level, live in that neighborhood, and those are the people that are coming to this party. And the restaurant fills with these people. And at approximately 1.30, these two prostitutes bust in the door. Only they bust into a bunch of people who turn around and yell, surprise! And they both freeze. And the chef comes out with the cake and walks up to the one whose birthday it is and hands her the cake. And she takes the cake and she's crying at this point. And no one knows what to say or what to do. She asked this question, rather than cut the cake now, is it okay if I take it home to my children? Yeah. It becomes human, doesn't it? It's very easy to dehumanize God's grace. She turns around and walks out of the restaurant with the cake, leaving all the people that showed up, the chef and my friend Tony standing there. They kind of look at each other like, what now? And Tony, in a stroke of brilliance goes, let's pray. And everybody, not religious people, all bowed their heads. It's funny. People know what to do. And he began to lead them in a prayer about heaven coming to earth, not earth trying to make it to heaven. And he said when he looked up, no one is left with a dry eye. No one knows what to say. And he said it was as though Jesus himself had come to seek and save that which was. Do you not know? Who did he come to save? The lost. Here's what Jesus said, if you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. But if you think you're not sick, there's the whole problem right there. Who we identify with and how we identify becomes a very, <laughs> I would say theological issue, but it's a human issue that messes up the gospel. So these people all walk out of the restaurant and all that's left is Tony and the chef. And the chef looks at Tony, and this is what he says to him. You didn't tell me you were religious. And he goes, I'm not religious. And the chef goes, yes, you are. You're from some church, because only a church would do something like this. Tony goes, no, I'm telling you. I, it's not, it's not, it's not. The guy goes, tell me what it is. He said, okay. 
He said, I belong to a church that would throw a birthday party for a whore at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the chef looked at him and said, no, you don't. Because if there was that church in this world, I'd join it in a second. Here's my question. Would you? Would you? Does your mind go, absolutely not, because I wouldn't want to get dirty. And I wouldn't want to associate, or I wouldn't want to familiarize myself with the. In fact, pastor... If you're trying to connect us to something like that, I didn't come from anything like that. Maybe that becomes the very problem of trying to teach the good news is for us all. Because when we think of all, we can think of people around us that look like us, that talk like us, that are in the same sort of socioeconomic circle. They're clean. They're dressed up. Here's, here's what it is. We've learned how to talk the talk, walk the walk, and look good, and we forget where we came from. So now I'll move you to a place to talk about the grace of God and your need for the grace of God. But if you don't see you as personally needing his grace, then you become smarter about it, but your heart becomes harder about it. And if I can't get it from here to here to connect you to the messages for all of us, then you'll miss the point entirely. Send your notes I put under important, how do you know it's important? Because I wrote important right there. <laughs> the saint and the sinner needs God's grace. Do you agree with that? Let me quickly, last couple weeks I've touched on this, but let me, let, let me do it. Let me talk about the scales of justice in America today. Here's heaven, the way it's discussed in jokes, television, media, and for most people. The average person, when they die, they go to heaven, they show up at the pearly gates, and who meets them there? What's Peter got? Either a scale or a clipboard. What's he looking for? Your name, and to see whether or not the good you did outweighed the bad you did. So the average person is living their life today hoping that the good they do outweighs the bad that they do. And they're really trusting in their ability to get themselves into heaven, not God's ability to get them into heaven. And can I just say to you, you don't want to show up at heaven hoping that the good you did outweighed the bad. Here's the way it's really going to look. If you go that way, God's not looking for good and bad. You'll miss the test entirely. In fact, let me give it to you straight. Even if you're like, well, I don't know if I want it straight, you won't be able to say you didn't hear it. Here's the real deal. He doesn't have a scale. He has a standard it's called perfect. I want to ask you the question. How many of you have blown it at least one time in your life? You don't raise your hand, I'm coming after you. <laughs> How many of you have blown it one time today? How many of you blew it when I was talking too long in the beginning and you're like, <laughs> there you go. God, hey, you, I, I like you, man. I like you. You're a real person. So all it takes to not be perfect is to blow it one time. We've all done that. So here's reality. You want to make it to heaven based on the good and the bad? Here's God's standard, perfection. He's perfect, so his standard is perfect. And here's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory or his standard. So if you're going to go there trying to make it on your own, you'll never make it. Only one person who ever lived was perfect. His name was Jesus. Now here, here's the message again. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for 
all people, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Christianity is not, here, here's the, so, so Christianity is another religion, another way. Don't they all work to do good things, and don't they all lead to God? Well, here's the difference. Christianity is not another religion. It's for all people. We were all sinners. White people, American people, South American people, African people, all people are sinners. We all need a Savior. We're all in the same boat if you really get down to it. Where's the boat? The boat is trying to get to heaven. We're all in that boat. Here's the difference. God's not trying to give you a way where you can earn your way there. You can't. Can't pray enough. Can't be good enough. Can't give enough. Can't go to church enough. I just said something really good for a lot of you. (laughs) You can only get there one way. Jesus was given by God as a way to fix what was broken. We're broken. Listen, we are fatally flawed. Look at me for a moment. Permanently broken and eternally loved. To see yourself any other way will dehumanize God's grace because you won't see your need for it. I, I asked this question one time to a person who walked into my office who, who was so judgmental of so many things and so hard. You know what I know about judgmental people? They very rarely have fun. Is that true? God, they have it down, but they are miserable people. And I just said, tell me about your understanding of God's grace. And the person was like, man, I need God's grace. I said, well, tell me about God's grace for other people, especially the people that you're judging. And they could not see how God's grace would go out to somebody else. Here's how I can tell whether or not you get grace. It's not whether or not you give it to yourself. It's whether or not you can give it to somebody else. That's how we know if you get grace. We all give ourselves a break. Do we see ourselves in the same place as everybody else? That whole standard thing of I did more good than bad, won't get you there. Jesus comes, lives a perfect life, and then here's the deal. God's not introducing a new religion. Jesus is the reconciliation of God's original intention. God created you to be in fellowship with him, gave us free choice. We go our own way. We broke it. We are forever broken, fatally flawed, and unable to help ourselves. So God in his love and his mercy reaches down and makes a way possible for us back to him. Jesus lives a perfect life. Here's the deal. Jesus gets what you deserved on a cross, and you get what he deserved, life. Look, two days from now, we'll have Christmas. Many of you, I don't know if you do Christmas Eve or Christmas Day when you open presents. We've gone to Christmas Eve. I have grandchildren now. Six of them will invade my home in two days. Right now, it looks beautiful. The presents, my wife, she's so good at putting them together, and the tree looks pretty. You know what it's going to look like in 48 hours? <laughs> Something's going to get trashed. Now, here's the deal. Those grandkids never run up and go, Papa, is it okay if I have a present? They run into the door like, where's my present at? And then when I hand it to them, they never go, 
asking, is it okay if I open this present right now? Papa, do I need to clean up first before I open this present? Papa, do you want me to go and wash my hands before I open this present? Should I do anything to make myself more worthy to open this present? Here's what they do. Before I can hand it to the first one, they sort of dive. <laughs> Papers flying everywhere. And they get done, they got all their loot. Here's what I live for. Thank you. That's it. I don't want them, I, I don't want them to say, do I need to pay you now? <laughs> or, hey, I'm going to be really nice to be worthy of these presents. I just want them to acknowledge you love me. You bet I do. Here's the gift that God gives you, and that's the way that it has to be understood. The kingdom of God is best understood like a child. So adults want to try to I'll wash my hands first, or I'll be good, or I'll be nice in order to get this gift. God, is it okay if I open this gift? What would you think if somebody that you gave a gift to treated it that way? You'd sort of be like, you missed the point entirely. It's to receive it, open it, and enjoy it, right? <laughs> Jesus is that gift for all people. When we close this message today, I'm going to give you a chance to know Jesus, not to join our church, not to get religion, not to help yourself, not to be better, not to try harder, not to come further, not to whitewash your situation, not to put a band-aid on it, not to fool anybody. Here's the deal. I hope I'm opening your eyes right now to the very idea that we're all in the same boat, in need of God's grace, in need of his mercy, and the only way to get there is to say to him, I'll accept the present. And if you've never done that, don't leave this place today with knowledge. Let it hit right here. We don't ever need to see each other again in order for this to be true. Some of you may not come any other time. You're only here because somebody invited you during Christmas time. And here's the deal. You may not even be in any of this religious stuff. You're okay philosophically with a guy named Jesus who was a nice guy. I've got to take you past that right now. He's more than a nice guy. He's your opportunity to exchange death for life. And I'm not trying to get you to join church. If what I said is true, if God is perfect and his standard is perfect, see, we look at him like a human. He'll outweigh the good versus the bad. You're not being honest with how it really works. Let me give you the second thing here real quick and talk to you about the cost of sin. Romans chapter 6, 23, the apostle Paul writes these words, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me talk to you about the problem of sin and just be honest with me, we're all thinking or many of us are thinking, gosh, we just show up on that day, and as long as the good outweighed the bad, we're okay. Let's talk about sin just for a second to get a real picture of it. Does God really care about a lie? Does it really matter to him? I mean, come on. This, this past two weeks for us, let me give a comparison. How, how, uh, we, a lie compared to an atrocity at Arapahoe High School. I mean, surely you stood up before God... That, that has to just, the scales of justice have to tip this way. Let me, before I go there, ask this question. When is cancer bad? 
when it's a baseball-sized tumor in your lung or when it's a single cell in your body? When is it bad? You guys, nobody moved over here. Always bad? Is it, is it bad when it's a lesion on your liver or is it bad when it's wandering your body looking for a place to stop, multiply, and divide? When is it bad? Is it bad once it causes death? Or is it bad when it's death inside of you? It's all bad, isn't it? So, so like, there's a level of it where it got worse. You bet. So look at me. So maybe the worst human being that's lived in the last hundred years. It's a debatable issue. I'm going to say Adolf Hitler. Some of you are like, you got your own idea of who that person might be. But let me, so let me just, let's just say Hitler right now. Scale of justice, I mean, surely I'm better than Hitler is. Yeah. Let us weigh it out, though. Hitler began with a lie. When he wrote Mein Kampf, before he killed any Jew, before any force went to war, he began with a lie. When was it bad? Was it bad once it turned into war, or was it bad when the lie began? When the lie began? James chapter 1, 14 and 15, James says this about the way that sin works. Each one, so that's everybody, is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Death. Try that one more time. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth So it begins as a little thing, but when it becomes full grown, it brings forth death. Is it bad at the beginning or bad? At, it's bad all the way through, isn't it? So does God care about a lie? He had to die for the lie just like he had to die for every other sin that the lie caused. So we see ourselves as like, God, these people are far worse than I am. Listen to me right now. We've got a teacher at Arapahoe High School that emailed me like day after, two days after, told me this story that I like, I could not even imagine myself in that place. And this awesome teacher tells me how, how they're using the gospel message that they're hearing here to teach students there. And the way that God is doing great things. This, uh, it talked about the kid. So, so right now, we're so, like, our hearts are so torn towards Arapahoe. Right? And we see the right and the wrong in it. Jesus had to die for that shooter, too. And we see ourselves, like, we place people in different. Dude, we're all in the same boat. Every one of us, fatally flawed, irreparably broken, and eternally loved. We may not take it as far, but we all have the disease in us. That's why he had to die. So let me try to move. I, some of you, I know you're going to choke on that right there. You're going to have a hard time with it. You're going to go home today and you're going to like that part of the message. So let, me, let me go this way and I'll let you out of here. Let me talk about honor for a moment. 
the kingdom of God best moves amongst a group of people when we honor what God honors. Let me say it one more time. Listen to me. Clear your head. Get over what I just said. Listen. The kingdom of God best moves amongst a group of people when we honor what God honors. All right, what's the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's my question. How many of you need more righteousness, peace, and joy in your life? It's like, so after that message, I need a lot of it right now. All right, we want more righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God best moves amongst a group of people when we honor what God, when people don't honor what God honors, the kingdom of God seems to hinder. It doesn't seem to be able to move well. But when we honor what God honors, it moves very well amongst people. What is the most important thing to God? What'd you say? Salvation? Yeah. Break it down, though. What's the most important thing to God? So love, that's good. You're getting there. What's the most important thing to God? Inspiration? Who said it? People. Hold on. God so loved the that he gave his son. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. God's most important thing to him, people. People. So important that he gave his son for people. When we honor what God honors, the kingdom of God moves in a wonderful way. You want to bring the kingdom of God to this world? Honor what God honors, which is people. The best way to do that? identify with people. We're going to sit in church today. Some of you, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He hung out with people who were sick, who needed him. Some of us almost have a reverse story. The worst thing we ever did in our life was eat too many M&Ms. We've gone to church our whole lives. We've never done anything that's that, like, significantly wrong. And so to hear the message, it's difficult to identify with people. You are people. You're in the boat with all humanity. Here's the deal. The day you met Jesus, you needed a Savior, and every day for the last 40 years, you've needed a Savior. You didn't need him one day to make you clean. You needed him every day so that you can live life. And therein's the problem. We have an experience with him at one point, and then it becomes all head knowledge rather than heart knowledge, and we become very smart, but we become very good at going us four and no more. The chosen frozen. We're comfortable with our church, our community. We don't identify with people. So my buddy James, I won't even point him out. He's sitting in this service right now. Guy's done really well for himself. Got a great business. Uh, done really well for himself. Really well. A few years ago, he went to Peru on a mission trip with his family and met a bunch of throwaway kids, and it ruined him. It ruined him. No more can he live his life just to do good here. Everything he talks about now, so he can't wait to, he goes four or five times, six times a year to give away his money to kids in Peru. It's ruined him. He totally identifies and gets it. Here's where his heart is at. We used to sit and we'd have breakfast and he'd talk to me about how cold his heart was and how distant his heart was. Now he tells me how on fire his heart is. The kingdom of God moves 
amongst people when we honor what God honors. Some of you are going to leave here today and you're going to be more cold than when you walked in. And here's why. You're not caring anything about what I say right now. Honor what God honors. People are what are most important to God. Now, if I could end this message with the idea of identifying yourself with people, then you see your need for God's grace in your life. I'll give you this to finish up with. The book of Revelation. What a confusing book this is. So many people read it, have no idea how to place it. Let me give you an identification. Revelation just gives us a future picture of what it's going to be like then and there. In Revelation chapter 5, 8 and 10. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a song, a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. This scripture gives us a little picture of what heaven's going to look like. Jesus has redeemed all people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people group on the face of the earth, and in heaven. Heaven is going to be very multicultural. Some of you are going to get there and go, hey, can you tell me where the Jubilee section is? <laughs> or the Lone Tree section? Or the South Denver section? And you're going to be very surprised by what heaven looks like. Heaven's going to be full of many colors. You know, here's the deal. You're going to be, like, surprised at who's there. And you know what is really going to be true? They're going to be surprised that you're there. <laughs> not you, sir. I'm just having to be looking over in that direction as I, as I said that right then. It was, no, it was not a word from the Lord, anything. <laughs> On that day, on that day you'll get it. But God, you're going to live a life now with the kingdom of God in fits and starts. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, God offers it right here and right now. The kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'd like to see that happen in my life. Honor what God honors. Well, can't you just pray for me? Just pray that I have righteousness, peace, and joy. No, honor what God honors today. And you'll have righteousness, peace, and joy. Identify with what God identifies. And watch what happens. All right. So that I would end it there, I will. I'll get you out of here right now. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for two groups of people. So before you pray, I'll give it away. I'm going to pray for folks this morning who don't know Christ. I'm going to give you a chance. If you want God's grace and his mercy in your life, I'm going to give you a chance to ask for that. The second group I'm going to pray for is this. You've made that decision, but I want to be very honest with you. That decision, while heaven may be done in the bag because you understand that it's based on the work of Jesus, how's your life here and now? Are you enjoying righteousness, peace, and joy, kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit? Or is there not much difference between your life and everything else you see around you in the world? So my question, why go to church if it's just like the rest of the world? you're supposed to be experiencing 
the kingdom of God when we all come together. And if you'd like that, I'll get a chance to pray for you because it would be honoring what God would have you honor. Maybe there's someone in your mind that suddenly comes to you like, God, that's the one person I would not want to honor. Honor them. That's the one thing I would not want to serve. Serve them. Do you hear that child back there? It's my granddaughter. For some of you, it's aggravating. For me, it's like music to my ears. Yes. It's her favorite word. No. Pray with me. Father, we just come before you. And God, here's again, I began this message by saying what an eclectic group of people. People uh, across many campuses, people listening live stream at different places around our country and around the world, literally. People that will be listening to this message in the next couple of weeks. Maybe, maybe here's the deal. Maybe uh, this message, <laughs> I'll just say something, it'll sound prophetic, it's not. But maybe you're not listening to the message in 2013. Maybe you're going to hear it in 2014 or 2015. Truth is truth regardless of age, time, season. So let me just go back and do what I said I would do. First group. Doesn't matter if it's your first time in this building or you've been here for years. If while I'm talking, the light finally goes on and you get it, you identify your need for God's grace and mercy. The light goes on and you understand, wow, it's not about how many good things I do versus how many bad things I do. It's about the fact that God's made a way for me. And it's going to come down to, listen, you're going to have to either trust him or trust yourself. You get the choice. You can walk out of here and go, hey, I'm going to trust me. I'm just telling you that on the day you stand before him, it won't hold water. Because the question won't be how much good versus how much bad. If you're really going to put it at that level, the question is going to be whether or not you were perfect. We all said, no, we've blown it. So then he sends Christ, who lives a sinless, perfect life. The Bible says he's our sacrifice. He took our place so that we could have his place. So I'm not trying to push religion off on you, because that's the very opposite of what Christ is about. I'm not trying to get you to reform or be good, or change, clean up, act right. Here's what I'm asking you. Do you recognize your need for God's grace and mercy? So if you're here this morning and you have never said, God, be merciful to me. God, help me. God, forgive me. If you've trusted in yourself and never trusted Christ and you want to. Let the word sink. You want to. And I'll give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to ask you to respond to me by raising your hand. However, 
I won't point you out. I won't make you stand. I won't parade you. I won't manipulate you. I won't do anything to you. The only reason I even ask you to raise your hand, it's a situation where I'm asking you to have a little faith right now. Believe in God. To identify yourself as one who needs it. So if you've never said, God, be merciful to me, and you need his mercy. If you've never said, God, forgive me, and you need to be forgiven. If you're trusting in yourself, and you recognize foolishness of that, and you want to trust in Christ. If that's you, and you say, Pastor, remember me when you pray this morning. just between you and God. Friend, that's why I won't point you out. It's between you and God. But if you say, Pastor, remember me when you pray this morning. Just put your hand straight up right. I already see, yeah, yep, there's many of us, many of us, many. Yep, many, many. Just give, give it a second. Just say, I want in on that prayer. Remember me today when you pray. Anybody else? Yep, I see you too. All over. You put them back down. Yeah, more than I could count. So at our campuses right now, our campus pastors are standing in front watching right now. And maybe, as I said, maybe you're listening to this someplace. Do you identify yourself in that place? So respond to God right now. Tell him yes. All right, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I know you may be thinking, I don't know any prayer. Or what prayer should I pray? Yeah, there's not a right or wrong prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God, and it's just from the honesty of your heart, telling him what you just said you need. God, help me. Be merciful to me. Forgive me. I want to trust Christ right now. You don't have to be a theologian to find God's mercy. It's a very simple gospel. If you need his mercy, he'll give it to you. Our whole church is going to get behind you right now. We're all going to pray together. So I'd like all of you, if you would, especially if you raised your hand and you meant it, I want you to pray after me. Father, in Jesus' name, have mercy on me. Forgive me. Reconcile me. I trust Christ, not myself. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. Second group, real quick. You probably prayed that prayer. Could have been 20, 30 years ago, two weeks ago, doesn't matter. Here's my question to you. Kingdom of God moving in your life. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit moving in your life. How's your heart? Are you smart about the Bible, but it is very far from your heart? Do you believe in the things that we just taught, but they don't seem to make it to your life? Do you believe that God loves you, but you don't seem to be able to feel that? Honor what God honors. And the kingdom of God moves amongst his people. Honor what God honors. 
You know, a way to look at honor is it's being able to celebrate who someone is without being able to trip over who they're not. Maybe God reveals someone to you today that you need to honor. Maybe it's just simply having a heart for people. God, love doesn't play out with the ones that's easy to love. It plays out with the ones that are difficult to love. That's where it's tested. Why would I do that? Because the kingdom of God moves easily amongst people who honor what God honors. There's not even a directive that I would give to you to go home and do this. In fact, I would more point you in this direction. That as our service closes and we worship and we take communion right now, if you want to use the crosses or our altar, you need prayer, someone to pray with you, folks in the back wearing the lanyards, However you want to respond to God, stay in your seat and just sit, stand, sing, whatever. Connect with him over this issue right now. God, what do you need to do in my heart? How do I move it from my brain to my heart? God, I want my heart involved in this. Saying to him, this is what I need, this is what I want. That's what the whole end part of this is about right now. It's not just to hear a message and become smarter. God, move it in my heart. Move it in my heart. So, Father, over everyone else here who would say, ah, John, I get it in my head. Trying to get that in my heart is so difficult. It takes an act of God, to be honest with you, and that's why we ask God to do it. So, Father, for everyone in here who would like not more knowledge, but true revelation, Open their hearts. Open our hearts. Make them very pliable and easy to be moved in your hands. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet if you will. Take just a few minutes as we close out our service to respond to God. us, God, by your spirit and bring us into that life, Lord.